Okay. Firstly, I want to thank my son because I went to get a drink this morning and got informed that there's no water, but he brought his drink bottle. So, well done, Daniel. I might, I might still this stand because it's a little bit bigger and can hold my notes. Excuse me while I move the furniture around a little bit. How is everyone? We good? Thanks for having us. It's nice to be here again. I think we were back here in December, was it? I could be wrong. Who's got a better memory than me? My wife. No, no. Um, no, it's, good. it's always good to be here. It's always nice to come into these, this uh, familiar space with a lot of familiar faces. Um, and for those who don't know my face, yes, I was sort of the youth guy here for about six years. And I worked at Wingham High School as the chaplain there for the same amount of time. And um, then I was at Tarry Christian College as well. Then went to Southern Highlands Christian School, done in Barrel for five years. And then we came back about two years ago. And here we are. And it was too cold. That was, <laughs> that was definitely part of the reason why we came back. It's very cold in the Southern Highlands. And now I work at Kendall public school as the chaplain there and one day a week on a Tuesday I drive a little bit further and go to Port Macquarie and teach scripture at the high schools and a few of the primary schools around Port Macquarie which I thought I'm sure many of you are aware that was paused for about half of last year there was no scripture in any schools and it was it was nice to hear Gwen pray this morning that uh, scripture can start again. It's that that's you know it's a privilege to be able to do that. Um, it's not really a right. It, it, it's it's amazing that public schools still let that happen. So we praise the Lord and thank Him that it can happen. If it stops at any moment, all glory and praise to God. And we think of other ways to communicate the gospel to the young people of this country. But it is good to be here, and uh, when I um, got the call from Trish yeah, uh, to ask if I can come and share with you guys again, and she said, it'd be great if uh, you could share your favourite psalm with us, because we're going to work through some psalms while Andrew is away, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, if I'm honest, and I want to be honest, because I'm an honest kind of guy, I, I had to pause for a second and think to myself, what is my favourite psalm? Again, if I'm honest, I'm not someone who, when I pick up the scriptures, I gravitate towards the Psalms. I've read all the Psalms, and some I've read more than once, but I go more towards the Gospels, and I go more towards the letters, particularly the New Testament. I really enjoy Genesis, because I think the whole Gospel message is in the book of Genesis. But I don't necessarily go straight to the Psalms, and I'm not somebody who would say, I have a favorite Psalm. That's just me, and maybe you're in that same boat. And I think sometimes when we think about, when people say, what's your favourite scripture, uh, it's usually because it's connected with something significant in our lives, a moment in time, an event that happened, or a time when a particular scripture was mentioned to us a few times and it had meaning. And I can't say that there's a psalm that has been that in my life. But when I had to stop and think, well, I've got to preach on something, 
Uh, firstly, I, th- I thought of 117 because uh, that's the shortest psalm. Uh, and you might appreciate a nice short sermon. But then I thought to myself, well, what is a psalm that has had some significant significance in my life? And I, I, I couldn't go past Psalm 1. Maybe it was just because I went to the start and I got to Psalm 1 and stopped. I don't know. But no, Psalm 1 is significant for me because I went to a, a Christian school down the south of Sydney. And this psalm was our school song. So I was at this school from kindergarten all the way through to year 12, 13 years, where every single Monday morning we had to sing this psalm as a hymn. Do you think I enjoyed that? (laughs) As the years go on, it turns into... As you hear... 400 or 600 or so students, however many it was, mumble through Psalm 1 until my year 12 farewell assembly. And that was a moment, it was quite a, as you got to year 12, like, similar to Tyree actually, about the same size as Tyree, you get to year 12 and you only have about 20 or 30 students. And he was 30 year 12 students, not all of them knew the Lord, singing at the top of their lungs. Psalm 1, because we knew it was the last time that we were going to sing that song together. (laughs) It was a moment. It was special. So this psalm is significant for me in that uh, for 13 years of my life, I heard it every single week. And actually when I, when us as a family moved to the Southern Highlands, that that came about because the principal of Southern Highlands Christian School called me up and said, I I really need a chaplain. Uh, Do you want a job? Sure, let's go on an adventure. And I knew this principal because he was my geography teacher when I was at school. But I was in year 10, and he was my teacher all the way through to year 12, but he was only just out of university, so he's only about five years older than me. But when you're at school, he's a teacher, like he's ancient. But then you realise, you're actually not that much older than me, but we used to, we used to joke quite a lot, and, and every now and then we would just start singing this psalm together because we had to sing it so many times. But, is it, but as I've read and meditated on this psalm over the course of the last few weeks, I've learned to love it again. This psalm, along with Psalm 2, are very much an introduction to the rest of the psalms. And when I look at my Bible at the top, it says Book 1, and then it goes into Psalm 1. Maybe yours is similar. Some scholars more believe that that book one should come after, or before, sorry, Psalm 3, and that Psalm 1 and 2 was often kept separate by the Jews as a in- introductory psalms to the rest of the psalms because the repeated themes of Psalm 1 and 2 that are found in the rest of the psalms. And when we look at Psalm 1, there is two main themes that come up in this psalm. Firstly, there's the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Verses 1 through to 4. And secondly, there's the fortunes and ultimate destination of the righteous and the wicked in verses 5 and 6. 
So we're going to spend most of our time on that, uh, that distinction between the righteous and the wicked and then just touch on that second point of the fortunes and ultimate destination of the righteous and the wicked. Now when we look at the distinctions between the righteous and the wicked, this is a common theme throughout Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear a lot about the righteous and the wicked. There is no third group. Jesus talked about the goats and the sheep in the New Testament. And when I was thinking about this and trying to prepare the message, and maybe because I was thinking about the fact that this psalm was my school song, it reminded me of a friend of mine who we started at that school together in kindergarten, went all the way through together. He left in year 11 and went and got a job. I completed year 12, but... This friend of mine now, you know, I'm 41, we're the same age, and he basically lives in a van and he travels around Australia, which I'm sure would have been very difficult the last few years. And every now and then he'll park his van somewhere, jump in a plane and go to India and then come back, work somewhere for a few weeks, get some money, drive somewhere else, then go to Indonesia. Like he's free to do what he wants. No commitments whatsoever. <laughs> and every now and then, I think maybe because Tari's quite central on the east coast of Australia, he'll just turn up at our house. Now, we're the kind of family that we don't mind a bit of a text message, at least, before people turn up at our house. That's, we just think that's nice. You know, just tidy up the house a little bit. But for some reason with this friend, it doesn't bother me. He just turns up. Sometimes he stays for a few days. And it's, uh, there's a little part of me that's sad when he leaves. But he, he uh, often gets work in a, when he goes to sort of home. <laughs> he gets work at a Hare Krishna school. As a teacher's aide in a Hare Krishna school. And because we've known each other since we're in kindergarten, whenever he comes to visit, I'm not scared to tell him about Jesus. And he tells me about the new things that he's discovered in regards to his spirituality. And we just go backwards and forwards. And there's occasional times when I'll say things to him and I think, if I said that to anybody else, I would really offend them. He thinks about it. And he just comes back with something else to me. And he's probably thinking to himself, I hope I haven't offended Luke. But we'd never offend each other. And I think part of that is because we love each other so much. But one thing, when he last visited, I'm really keen for him to come back again because I did not, at the, mo- at the time, at the moment when he said this, I didn't have an answer. And I'm sure you've all been there when a dear friend has said something to you of a spiritual nature trying to trap you. And in that moment, you don't have an answer. And he said this, and it was almost like a mic drop mo- moment where he said it and just walked out of the room. And he said to me, Luke, if the Bible's true and Christianity is true, then Satan is winning. And he said, because so many people are going to hell. And he just walked out of the room. I'm like, oh, okay. But then he started talking to the kids and was like, uh. another moment didn't come up to come back to this and I'm waiting for him to turn up again. Last time he turned up, I was mowing the lawn. I'm like, who's coming up my driveway? I look forward to it again. But my friend... In one way, he's right, 
Not that Satan is one. Don't, don't think I'm agreeing with him on that. But there are many people who are going to hell. There are many people who are heading towards destruction. There are many people who will perish. It reminded me of Jesus' words. And this is the thing that my friend doesn't realize, is that Jesus didn't keep this a secret. When he says in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. This is no secret that there are many who are going to perish and there's only a small few, the righteous, who will find that narrow road. The thing is, though, without Jesus, we are all enemies of God. Colossians 1.21 Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We were all there. We were all once enemies of God, but we can be saved. Romans 5.10 For since your friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, and while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. See, my friend fails to understand that he is an enemy of God. And that also Satan is an enemy of God. And the enemies of God will be destroyed. It's not that Satan has won. It doesn't matter the size of the armies. It's that matters, what matters is which army wins. And God has won. And my friend, and I try to message and talk to him as much as I can to tell him that he needs to repent of his sin and put his trust in Jesus. And I just want us to keep this in mind as as we, we work through Psalm 1, is that when we read this, it should motivate us to evangelism. It should motivate us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I haven't heard from my friend for a while, I'll send him a text message. Where are you, mate? He knows where he is. He's always in different places all around the world. Tells me the new things that he's discovered. And I tell him, I love you, mate. And by the way, Jesus loves you too. Repent. Put your trust in Jesus. I just keep telling him. Because I care. So when we think about and read this psalm about the righteous, we've got to ask ourselves then, who is righteous? Because if we just read Romans 3, for example, where it says no one is righteous, no one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And here, Paul is quoting from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. No one is righteous. So if the righteous are doing what this psalm talks about, then who are they? How are we made righteous then? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, this is every letter of the New Testament. You are made righteous by what Christ has done for you. You are holy, you are righteous, you are sanctified, you are justified through the cross of Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
This is how you should live. This is how you should behave in light of the cross. Do not get around the wrong way. And throughout church history, we've often done that. Thinking that we have to get ourselves right, we have to be righteous and holy and perfect, then Jesus will accept us. It's the other way around. That's every letter of the New Testament. That's how Paul does his letters. That's how he structures every one of them. So this psalm starts with, blessed is the man. Every now and then I'm going to pause as we go through this because I want to make it very clear to you that this has nothing, this idea of being blessed by God has nothing to do with money and property and wealth and fame. That is not the message of the scriptures when it comes to God's blessing. And in this context, it's all about what the righteous don't do. In response to what Christ has done for us on the cross, you should not live this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. As righteous people of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will not walk, stand or sit in the counsel, way or seat of the wicked sinners or mockers. The New Testament often puts it this way. We are not of this world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I've struggled with that. What does that mean? And I want to make it clear to you guys this morning, that does not mean that we can't enjoy the beauty of God's creation. In fact, in Romans 1, Paul actually uses that as a way to convince the Romans that there is a God. The general revelation of God, that all humanity can see that there is a God by simply looking at creation. But I also don't think that this is talking about us being creative. We are created in the image of a creator. We are allowed to be creative and use the gifts that God has given us to write songs, to write stories, to make films, to paint paintings, to make beautiful clothes, (laughs) to be really good with numbers. God has blessed you to be able to do those things, so use them for his glory. And also don't be scared to enjoy other people's creativity. But let's seek to give the glory to God. That's not what this is referring to when it talks about to not be in the world. What it's talking about is that the righteous will not find a light in the corrupt philosophies of this world. The righteous will not show support for those who openly scoff God. The righteous don't take their lead from other world religions. And there's a common trend within Christianity at the moment to be united with all the other world faiths. What should be influencing the righteous? Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
Their delight is in the law of God. For us, we have the complete canon of Scripture to delight in. And you see, our old selves find no delight in God's word, nor does it submit to it. Romans 8, verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It is only possible through new birth in Jesus Christ, only by the Holy Spirit can a righteous person love God and his word. And we desire then to meditate on it day and night as this conveys the will of God for our lives. Someone who's worked with youth now for close to 20 years, (laughs) I often get asked, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. And I'll usually say to them, well, have you read his word yet? In light of Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, live this. Then you're doing God's will. Now, often when we talk about, you know, this saying meditate on God's word day and night, it's very easy then to sit there and feel guilty because you don't feel like you read this enough. Sometimes guilt can be a good motivation and motivator to make us actually do something about it. I personally, I just like reading the Word. I have a Bible next to my bed and have a Bible in my study when I get up in the morning and get ready for work. I sit down and I read the Word. I'll have two or three books going at a time that are explaining God's Word. I'm really getting into reading the, the old catechisms and statements of faith from the 16th century at the moment. I find that really enjoyable. That's me. Some of you may have just a Bible devotion sitting on your bedside table. Like uh, the, the family and I, we work through, well, we haven't quite finished it, we've got to get back to it, um, watching the Lumo um, Bible movies, which are word for word out of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's some creative license in how they act it out, but at least you, are, you know you're hearing the word of God as you watch these films. You've got to be careful with some Bible films because they'll put things in there that actually aren't in the Bible, right? And then you start to think to yourself, that was in the Bible, and you're like, well, actually, no, it wasn't. Where well, these are word for word out of the Bible, I encourage you to find them. They're on YouTube now, and they're for free. We do our best to try and have family devotions together. Are there some days we don't? Yeah. I've got two teenagers. They're not always home. If you live alone, find somebody that you can do that with during the week. Bible studies, KYB. You are here this morning. If you don't hear, if you don't pick up your Bible at all for the rest of this week, you're here now and you're hearing it now. So meditate on this for the rest of the week. And in some ways, the internet has made our lives easier. In many ways, it has made it more complicated and difficult. But there is so much you can find online. And for me, as I drive to work, 40 minutes to get to Kendall, that's about the same time as most sermons, right? So I can listen to a sermon on my way to work, on my way home. And if time permits... I want to show you someone in song. And there's so many, again, online, so much scripture you can listen to in song. 
And for me, someone who loves music, which I'm sure most of us do love music, to be able to hear the scriptures sung and you get the tune into your head and then all of a sudden you find that you're memorizing scripture because you're singing a particular song, it's gold. And that's, uh, dare I say it, some problems with modern day Christian music is that it's not scripture. It's just someone's opinion and their experiences, which can be nice, but it's not all worship. So what's the result of meditating on God's word? Verse 3, He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. As a result of delighting in God's word, the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of living water, a tree that has all, its, all it needs for life and prosperity, a tree that is healthy and has good fruit and doesn't wither. Just like that tree, the righteous person refreshes their soul and grows healthy in the Lord by meditating on his word. Before I just drew out that word blessed, now I just want to focus on that word prospers for a second. Because again, it's a very nasty trend within many churches that God wants to prosper you and that means that you are wealthy and rich and have property and successful. What kind of fruit, if we're talking about trees, what kind of fruit should we be prospering in, being successful in love, joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This is where we should be prospering. If God leads you through life and you're in a position where you're in a job where you're making lots of money, so be it. It's then what you do with it that reflects this and the prosperity that God wants in your life. That's the fruit that we should be producing as we meditate on the word of God. In contrast, verse 4, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. That picture of throwing up the wheat and the chaff, the wheat comes back down. They used to do it in a bit of a breezeway so that the wind would catch the chaff and blow it away. And you picture the chaff just sort of blowing away all over the place. In other words, the wicked are not stable. They're easily influenced by what's new, what's cool, what's current what new religions, what new people we should follow. And that's in some ways more relevant now than ever when I'm dealing with young people. Who would have ever thought mullets would come back? Did anyone see that coming? Like, talk about following trends. But obviously there's far more serious things out there as well. And part of me is enjoying being in a primary school, even though I meet and sit with kids where their homes are just a mess. Because for the last 10 years prior to that, I was in high schools, and I think I got burnt out listening to teenagers talking about how they're harming themselves and how they want to take their own lives. You don't get that as much in primary schools. You just hear more about how their dad's never home. 
This leads us into verse 5, where the fortunes of the, and the ultimate destination of, of the righteous and the wicked. Verse 5 says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Starts here with a therefore. So in light of everything that I've just said to you, therefore. When we started this psalm, it talked about that the righteous will not stand in the way of sinners. Now, the wicked cannot stand. They cannot stand before God on judgment day. And now they can't stand amongst the righteous who are in Christ. They're like the chaff. And in the end, whatever they do is unprofitable in regards to eternal life. They cannot stand. There's no relationship with God and they do not know his word. Again, this should motivate us to evangelism and to sharing the gospel. But in verse 6, the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. There's that very wide road, that easy road, where many people are going to perish. And whether you hold to predestination, God's elect and being chosen, and I will say that I hold that position, but what there is is there's a means to that end. And the means is that God has said go and tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he knows the ways of the righteous. And this idea of this Hebrew word of knowing, it's not just I know something, it's I know. I know my wife, I know my kids, there's personal relationship. And this is a knowing in regards to relationship and God says that you, the righteous, are his children. And this is confirmed in the New Testament, John 1.12, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He knows you. And God knows and he cares for his children. In 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty act of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. It doesn't mean we don't have anxieties. It means that when we have them, we bring them to the Lord because he cares about you. God knows and protects his children. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, that is the world. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. God has one, and my friend needs to know that. And all this is amazing. But what amazes me the most is that God rewards his children. And I want to stress again, this has nothing to do with owning a lot of land and having a lot of money. What kind of blessings do the scriptures talk about? Well, it says, blessed be the Father and God and, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are some of these spiritual blessings? Even as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we shall be holy, spiritual blessing, and blameless before him, a spiritual blessing. In love he predestined us for adoption, hallelujah, to him as sons, we are children, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. These blessings, these spiritual blessings, are something that we share with one another and experience together. We have every spiritual blessing because God knows you. So the righteous have every spiritual blessing. And this psalm is giving us an example on how the righteous live their lives. This psalm points to the righteous life, Jesus Christ. And Psalm 1 and 2 are very messianic, particularly Psalm 2, but I would say that Psalm 1 just as much, because this is a picture of Christ. And then we have a life that shares in this We are then made righteous through the sacrifice of Christ and his victory on the cross. Therefore, we will not walk, stand or sit in the council way or seat of the wicked sinners and mockers. The righteous know God and we seek to do his will and we meditate on the words of God Day and night. And the Lord knows them. The Lord knows the righteous, the ways of the righteous, and he knows his children. So all glory to Jesus. Because none of us can boast. Let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you that we have your word. Lord, I want to thank you that we have salvation through Christ, that we are made righteous and holy in light of Christ and what he's done for us and as we put our trust in what Jesus has done, that he has taken the punishment on the cross, taken upon himself the wrath of God and then defeated death and risen again. And now he has all authority. Help us, Father, in response to that, to live a life that glorifies you and help us, Lord, to be motivated to share this truth with the people that we love and with the rest of the world. Help us to stand upon your word, to be influenced by it and it alone in how we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, I thought that we could um, just listen to um, Psalm 1 in song. And I think we're going to get, try and give it a go. We don't have any pictures, so we can listen at least. Well, you can listen and meditate on these words and enjoy them.
stands in 